Hello and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. Today's company is Mary Cochran, Teresa Gardner, and Christine DeSibio. Christine is a speaker with Women of the Word, and we are actually at a conference right now in North Carolina at Lake Junaluska. Christine has so much knowledge and wisdom that's pouring out of her through her time in the Word of God. And so we appreciate you being here with us today, Christine. Thank you very much. You gave such a great message talking about how revival is coming and how God is revealing his character. And so would you mind taking us back down that road and sharing a little bit with our listeners? Certainly. Yes, the Lord has been talking to me a lot about revival and about what's happening in this next season, this next era of time in the body of Christ and what it is that he's going to be doing. He has brought in some great revelation for me. The story that I shared was a very specific encounter that I had with the Lord, with the presence of God, where he talked to me about what is coming and what's going to be happening during this season of revival. I was just brushing my teeth one day and I had music on and I was just kind of worshiping the Lord and focusing on him and I was asking him some questions and I had been chatting with him and I turned around and his presence was just there in a very tangible way that I'm not used to. Just super strong. I knew it was him, but it was so much greater than anything I had ever experienced before. And my reaction from it was to kind of fall over and keel over on the ground. And as I did, this power started rising up in me. And I knew that I knew that nothing was going to stop what he has set and what's going to happen and what's coming. As I'm down there, I felt this strength kind of start really from my toes and go all the way up through me. And all I could think is there is no grave that's going to hold us down and that revival is coming. He started talking to me about this revival and about what's going to happen in the midst of the revival. And I was so overjoyed that I was dancing and jumping like like there was literal springs in my feet. (laughs) So it was extremely exciting. And it also left me with an understanding that nobody can stop what he has set to do and that revival is coming. It is on its way. What we've been praying for and asking for. Amen. So Christine, I really do appreciate that you're sharing a story about a prophetic experience that you have with the Lord because it's not spoken of. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it because prophetic gifts have been abused in the body of Christ, but we know according to scripture that these are real gifts of the Lord. This is available to us. It's not if we don't have belief, but when we belong to him and we are totally surrendered to the Lord, Mm -hmm. he really does show up. Times are increasingly wicked. It's becoming more and more difficult. We're living in these times that the Lord is drawing things to a conclusion. Yes. We're in a prophetic era. Yes, we are in a prophetic era. We definitely are in a prophetic era. God is revitalizing, I believe, reviving the gift of prophecy in a very real way. One of the things that I'll say about that is that light always pushes out darkness. So when a word comes forth from the Lord and we know that it's truth and that it's life, when we turn a light on, the darkness just goes away. It doesn't fight with it. And so depending on the brightness of the light is how much darkness it will push away. And we know that Jesus is the light that's inside of us, right? And a lot of what prophecy is doing is strengthening the light. It causes us to seek the Lord more. It causes us to say, all right, I want that for myself. How do I get to know you? How do I understand you? What do I do? And the word tells us if we seek him, we'll find him, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that word reward actually means he's a payer of wages. So he's going to grant you your desires and 
pay you in wages, in fruit, in life when you seek him. And it will increase the light inside of you. So as the light is turned on, more and more darkness is expelled. So bringing light to new areas is a lot of what he's doing. And that's a lot of what the message was about. So it's bringing light to areas of his character. It's not that they haven't been discovered, but they haven't necessarily been fully revealed. And in this season in the body of Christ, in this era, he is revealing himself. And we have to seek him and we have to, while he will be found, that was Isaiah 55 scripture, why he will be found, we have to seek him because his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. He is higher. That's why it's so important that we get into this word, that we really understand it so that we are not deceived in this time that we live, you know, because you can be swayed from all the opinions of men and these philosophies that are out there. But if you are firmly rooted in what this word says, precept upon precept, right? You actually had a parallel from the Old Testament where God is revealing his character and it was in the life of Moses. In that story, it's in Exodus. It starts in chapter six. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So in this beginning of chapter 6, God and Moses are having an interaction and an encounter, and God is giving Moses instruction on what to do to be really the deliverer, the liberator of his people. So he's restoring a generational promise, which is super cool. So it's a promise from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's going to now work out and live out that promise. But what he says in here, he's like, I revealed myself as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not reveal myself. He's telling Moses that there was this understanding that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had of me, but it wasn't a full understanding. And I have more to show you. And I'm about to tell my people more of who I am. I'm going to give them a greater level of my identity and who that I am. So the two distinct names that he uses in this is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as El Shaddai or God Almighty. So they knew him as all-powerful. They knew him as omnipotent, which means all-powerful. They knew him as an almighty God who was strong. They saw him act out different portions of his character in their lives, but how they really knew him was as this all-powerful God. And what he's saying here is, I'm going to show people that I am Yahweh or Jehovah, and this is actually the redemptive name of God. So this is where there's redemption for sins is in this name. And it also means that he's a self-existent eternal life force. So he's telling them that I have have always been and that I am completely self-sustainable, self-existent, and I am the creator. So in this, he's restoring a portion of his character. He's going to show them that he really does love them, that he will hold his promises, that he's faithful throughout the generations to hold all of his promises, and that his word is true. 
So later on in this, Moses is having more conversation. Now he's going to take them out of Egypt, yes, right? Yeah. So he's shown them all of this. And yeah. so now it's time to travel. After Pharaoh decides to let them all go and they've seen all of these plagues, they go into the wilderness and they see miracle after miracle, right? So they're getting a portion of God's character because he is a miracle working God. He is all powerful. He is a healer, a deliverer. He is all about signs and wonders. So the first big thing they see is that God leads them by a cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. They have the presence of God actually going with them, leading them through the wilderness. And then when they come up to the Red Sea, the next thing that they get to see is that the sea splits in front of them and they're able to walk through it and it closes behind them and takes out the Egyptian army. Then they get to see that bitter water turn sweet. They get quail and manna from heaven. They also get water from a rock. Doesn't it really make you wonder like how in the world did they just miss all of this and yeah. like constantly forsake him? Yes. How does that happen? But you know, we do that too. Yes. We yep. do it. We do. We do. And it's like, you know, those, okay, those things are fine, but are you really who you say you are? And that's a lot of what it is. And in this previous era that we're kind of, right now we're straddling the line, I believe, of the two kind of eras. So an era is like a larger chunk of time that has very distinct characteristics. So it's not just season shift, I reap and I sow, that kind of thing. It's a long period of time where they're sowing and reaping throughout the period and there's dryness and light within the period. However, there's a new change and a very distinct change that happens, okay? And right now, I believe we're standing on this line that tells us old era, it felt drier there was less understanding of who God was not because we weren't doing something necessarily right but because it's where God was at it's what was going on in the body it's what was happening in his eternal prophetic his timeline so his timeline is not ours and that's where it was and now we're stepping into this new era where God is saying not only will I reveal my character to you but if you can if you want to if you will take it on and understand it and allow it to penetrate your reality so penetrate your natural form of world that's around you. If you'll let this penetrate your reality, my identity, the reality of who I am, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and all of these great things. And guess what? You'll be able to hold it. You'll be able to stand in revival. You'll be able to see revival last for a long season. If you can understand that in me is everything I say in scripture, he's so loving and so kind. But like we found out later in this teaching, he doesn't just forgive sin. If you're guilty and you repent, it's forgiven. But if you don't, repent. It's not forgiven. So if we come into agreement and alignment with his word, we'll be able to stay in revival season for much longer than previous generations and previous areas. Grace has been cheapened so so much within the body of Christ. Repentance. We need to have this call to repentance because repentance is an ongoing process for our sanctification. You know that it's part of our daily walk. There are many Christians that truly do believe I repented once and I'm good. You know, And so they live their whole life doing things the way they're going to do and continuing in their sin, not putting off the old man and on the new, really believing that because of their belief in Christ, that that was it and that was all that needed to To occur. We see scripture that says that even the demons in hell believe and they tremble. They're not even trembling over here, you know. So the reality is there's much for us to learn as the body of Christ about the character of God and who he is because the time is drawing shorter and shorter. 
And I believe with what you said about the the era shifting, we've seen through history the timeline for Israel, for instance. Mm. 2,000 years, it was a desolate wasteland, Mm. which really was the time of the church. And the prophecy that was indicated about what would happen with Israel was that God would regather his people and put them back into his land and that he would restore them. But then as the church, they didn't see these things coming into fruition Mm. for thousands of years. And so I'm sure that somewhere along the way, the body of Christ started wondering, are these are these promises still true, you know, for Israel? And that's where replacement theology had slipped in. And people started thinking, well, maybe that was meant for the church and not for Israel. But now what we're seeing prophetically is these prophecies being fulfilled. God said he is performing it exactly as he said he would, that this land is now prospering, that this nation would be reborn in one day. And May 14th, 1948, it was reborn in one day. History shows that he would restore the shekel, you know, which was their currency originally, that he would restore their language and that these people would come from all four corners of the earth and they would populate this land. So we're seeing that happen. But the thing that I think is so fascinating that's lining up with what you're saying, God is saying about revival and the need for us to see his character is the time that we're in because he says that when we see these things begin to happen, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that the light bulb would start coming back on for the Jewish people, that they would start coming into relationship with Christ. And so we're also seeing that happen in the land of Israel. So there's all of these things taking place at one time, which really, for those within the body of Christ, it should be a big wake-up call for us to realize we need to get in this word, get excited about the prophecies that the Lord is fulfilling, and realize that revival is coming. Yes. He is coming. Amen. He is coming. As people awaken and they awaken to truth of who he is, he does not leave us without instruction. Also, the Holy Spirit will bring forth all revelation and all truth. So the word of God is extremely important. The character of God, it's in this story that we're talking about with Moses, after they go through all of this, seeing all the signs, wonders, and miracles, Moses ends up at a place where even after he spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God, he's still asking God to reveal to him more of his character. That's kind of where the story hits the really big crescendo. So that's in Exodus 34, verses 4 through 10. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. And the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended into the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression against sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. In this portion of scripture, this is Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. So he is up there after having asked God to please reveal more and more of his character to him. In verse 6, he says, I am Yahweh. He's telling him, I am the self-existent eternal life force. And God gives him portions of his character. So he's saying to him, this is who I am. I'm going to give you more of who I am. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in love. Abounding means having many and numerous and steadfast is loyalty. He has numerous levels of loyalty. He's love and faithful. He's trustworthy and consistent. He is loyal with his love for a thousand generations. He forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, but he will not clear 
the guilty. So one of the things that I take out of this is that mercy always triumphs over judgment. God knows order. When he says something first, that means he's telling us, he's giving us that foresight that mercy is always going to triumph over judgment. The fact that I'm gracious and merciful is more powerful than the fact that there's iniquity and that there is judgment at the end of it. So we know that in his character, goodness is always the thing that comes first. Goodness is what woos us to him. He's not condemning. He says immediately, always first, that I will forgive you. So we have to make a choice to ask for forgiveness and to be truly repentant in all that we do. He's saying that I can forgive all of those things. You have to understand this is this is actually even before Jesus. And he's telling them that if you ask for forgiveness, when you come up against something that's in my law, I will immediately forgive you. But if you're guilty, then you refuse to ask me for forgiveness then I will not clear your name. We have to understand that this is part of who he is. He is merciful. He is gracious. But he doesn't violate his laws. That's right. And he's just. He's always just. So if we want him to justify us, we have to understand that he is just in his dealings with us. And this is one of the big things that I think he's kind of making a correction in the body of Christ, that kind of like hyper grace, what you talked about. It's not that I don't love you and that mercy doesn't triumph over judgment, but to come into alignment with me, to have the fulfillment of what my promises are, you have to be repentant and humble before me. And it's amazing because Moses, in having this encounter with him, immediately falls on his face and he says, Lord, we are stiff necked. Forgive us. His first response is, forgive us of our sins and we're giving ourselves to you. Let us be your inheritance. He had a repentant and a humble heart. Amen. He did. When he was touched with the character of God, he realized he had to be repentant and that he is just a human. He realized it and saw it immediately. Stiff neckedness really just means stubbornness. It means that God shown them his character by showing them all those signs and wonders and miracles when he was in Egypt defiling every Egyptian god. That's actually the first time that I'd ever heard that. When I read about the plagues, I always thought, why would he do? Like, this is, these are so strange. Yeah. Will you share that? We know that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house, okay? So when Moses was born, his mother, it says in there that she saw this baby was noteworthy, right? So she knew this child was special. So she wasn't going to surrender him to the guards or to anybody to be killed, and she kept him. And hit him. And then she made a basket for him and put him in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter was there in the Nile River. Moses is put into the Nile River and Pharaoh's daughter comes into an encounter with her. So what happens in this encounter is that Moses's mother knew the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. They believed it was life source and where the princess was bathing is where they believed the god of fertility lived. So not only when they were murdering the babies and putting them into the river were they making sacrifices to the goddess of fertility so the Egyptians could increase in numbers. So that's that is a good reason of why she was in why the she river. Was, yep. Yeah. So she was in that river to have a blessing right. from the goddess of fertility. Okay. And here comes a baby. Hmm. So she thinks the goddess of fertility is granting her wish. And she doesn't care if he's a Hebrew baby or not because she knows she's going to indoctrinate him with all the Egyptian gods. And he's never going to know the God of the Hebrews right. because she doesn't even believe he's real. If there's anybody listening who doesn't know these Bible stories yet, let's just lay that out. There was yeah. an edict that Pharaoh yes. had put out in the land killing all of the male children. Yes, that's right. All the midwives were supposed to be killing all the male Hebrew children. Right. So Pharaoh saw that the Hebrews were increasing in number. He didn't want to be overpowered. And so in this, it's not just I want to have less Hebrews. It's I want to have more Egyptians. So let's make a sacrifice to the goddess of fertility so we can have babies right. and produce 
our seed and who believe in our gods, multiple gods. And you know, you were talking about how supernatural this all was. And there's just some really poignant things to find in scripture that prove yeah. that. And the mother of Moses ended up getting paid to nurse her own child. I know. God is very supernatural. Pharaoh's got this edict out to kill all the male children. And not only does Moses come and get brought up in his house, yeah. they pay his mother. Yes, they pay his mother. And then, you know, so now Moses is raised as an Egyptian. He would know he was a Hebrew. However, he would be raised learning about the Egyptian gods. So we fast forward to these plagues and God is talking to Moses in these plagues as well. Each plague that comes is an assault against an Egyptian god. So they worship the sun. The sun went dark for three days. They worship the Nile River because they thought it was a life force and their goddess of fertility lived there. And everything died in the Nile and it turned to blood. Even though sometimes the magicians could copy and match what happened, gods always lasted longer and they never stopped until Moses would pray and ask God to stop them. The locusts, they worshiped the locusts. They worshiped gnats. All the cattle in Egypt died. They worshiped cattle. Every single thing that they worshiped, God assaulted. And what he's doing in this is not just saying to the Egyptians, I'm God Almighty, but he's telling Moses, these gods that they raised you with, that they that they took your brain and, and indoctrinated you with, these gods that you've seen do powerful things, that you've actually seen do something. Because we have to remember, this is witchcraft. These gods, they, they demons. are demons. They're yes. demons. As the body of Christ, we need to understand that. These other gods are demonic gods and Satan's kingdom likes to mirror God's kingdom. Satan was an angel who who was in the presence of God. He knows the way he does things. And when he was given power on this earth because we sinned, he's able to do supernatural things. He can do things. Right. They're never nearly as powerful. They can't last as long and God is always outdoing him. And so these gods were very real to the Egyptians. They saw them do real things. And to Moses, these gods were very real. And God was saying, you need to be delivered of the idols in order for me to use you as the deliverer to deliver your people and fulfill my promises that I made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's telling Moses, I'm going to set you free and deliver you, heal your soul, restore your soul from all the stuff that happened in your childhood. And I'm going to make it so I am God Almighty, fully omnipotent, fully strong in front of you. So he doesn't leave Moses ill-prepared. Moses isn't just some shepherd now or some kid that was raised in Pharaoh's house. Moses has a deep rocking to his core of his foundation, what he was raised in. Now he's asking, the reason why this is such a big deal on the mountain is he's like, God, you have taken, you have stripped away everything. This happens to us. This has to happen to us. We have to get to a place where we're like, God, you have stripped everything away from me. Who are you that I can follow you? Help me learn you so I have favor with you, so I can walk with you, so I can do things with you. We have to get to a place where we're so stripped down, the breaking has become so severe that the only thing that repairs us is the character of God. The only thing that fixes it is to know who he is and to have a revelation of who he is. And he's doing that in this era. Right. You know, God's whole character is encompassed in this and he does not tolerate idolatry. And it's it's not just a molten calf. It's not just idolatry in modern day world. You have to know what your own idols are, but they can even be our own ideas of who God is. If we have some idea that's contrary to the Bible, that's an idol in its own. Amen. The modern day church can get confused on the examples in the Old Testament. When yeah. we think of those tangible things, yeah. you know, that were considered to be idols. And like you're saying, there are so many things that mirror the idols we have in our own lives. Humanism, for mm. example, it's the love of your own self and your yes. own self-sufficiency. Yes. And or 
materialism, the love of money and the love of things and success and wealth, and then hedonism. It's our love of pleasure, yeah. you know? And so that's our society. Yeah. That's our modern day culture. And so we can look around with really even Christian friends of ours that we can probably think fit into, yeah. and even ourselves sometimes, yeah. you know, we fit into one of those boxes, but those are those things that would be considered idols. Yes. Yeah. One of the biggest idols that I think I see is the false image of God. Hear me when I say this, that he's completely full of love. He is so full of love. But when I am a professing Christian who's repented and turned towards him, or I say that's what I am doing, and I state the fact that sin is okay because God forgives me, we're creating a false image of who he is. And that's just a common one. Now, there's a lot of false imagery that we have with him. We have a major identity crisis on ourselves and a major God identity crisis. And we give him characteristics of what we think we would like in a God, and we refuse to allow the word of God to change those thoughts. And that is where Christian culture, idolatry comes into play. Yes, it's where people really reject God's word. They're reading the Bible to have it suit what it is they choose to believe rather than reading the Bible for what it actually says. That's right. I was just going to ask you if you believe that that was because they were not embracing the truth as a whole or if that Christians at large are not reading their Bibles today? I think it could be a combination of both. I think we have a misunderstanding of what humility is, truthfully. What I believe God is saying about humility right now, now obviously we don't want to have pride and say we're all fantastic or something, but humility is coming under the word of God. So what the Bible says challenges me. If I'm humble, I say, your word is supreme over me. Therefore, my thoughts are wrong. Therefore, Lord, help me change my thoughts and my belief system to match you. Now, pride is your word doesn't match with my thought, but either that's okay, I'm just going to leave that one, or no, I don't believe that. And people are that audacious to say, no, they don't believe that. Listen, there's no contradictions in scripture. There's things that contradict me, my thought process. I don't understand how this is and this is in scripture. I can't think of an example right now, but that happens a lot. How are you this if you're this? I am not coming into alignment here if I don't understand this. And there's plenty of things that I don't understand, but my job is to say, Lord, I humbly submit. Your word says this and this. Seems contradictory to me, Father. Please help me to understand. Give me a revelation. Help me to have a revelation. And revelation is never something Well, for me, it's like a little kid. I have little kids. You ever explain something to a little kid and their face lights up? They finally get it and they finally understand it. That's exactly what it is. Right. These light bulb moments. Yep. These light bulb moments. Like I ask him a question and then within the next week or two, I hear things, stuff happens and all of a sudden the dots connect and I'll be driving in my car and I'm like, ah, that's it. Why didn't I see that before? That's so simple. Because he just opens up the pathway in your brain. You know, he just makes it work. And I do see that theme a lot throughout scripture of things being hidden and things being revealed. Yes. And so I was going to ask you to speak into that a little bit. You also mentioned earlier that, you know, we need to seek the Lord while he may be found. So apart from the obvious things, reading his word Mm -hmm. and praying Mm -hmm. and asking him to reveal things to us, do you have any other suggestions or tips on what that looks like or, or how we do that? I think you know, like this, listening to podcasts, listening to other preachers and teachers, and also paying attention to what's happening prophetically. So there is still prophetic voices. They're just not necessarily as mainstream. They don't show up in your church every Sunday. You know what I mean? So we don't necessarily see them, but then there is- not all of them should be listened to, frankly. Yeah. And you, there's, so part of what I was going to say is we have to be able to discern what's going on. So a lot of what God is doing also with the body of Christ is, is breaking 
breaking them down so they can get to the point of trusting him and discerning things with him. So, I mean, I pay attention to a lot of them. I do not agree with all of them. Let's say anybody ever gives you a prophecy or you read a prophecy. And some of it is like, you're like, this is wacko. It's okay to throw out the stuff that doesn't line up and pull out the thing that does. We have to realize that prophecy is subject to the prophet. God is so greatly prophetic. This is one of the things that he said to me in my encounter with him. Part of it was he was correcting my opinion of a modern day prophet and it's not that I had a bad opinion. I just didn't really know. And I was I was heading towards that side of like, okay, I'm not listening to you. Does that make sense? Right. And he said to me, he's like, Christine, I can speak through a donkey. And he does. He speaks through a donkey to Balaam. And I use different people for different purposes. And I am in no way comparing this person to a donkey, just to be clear. <laughs> but he, what he's saying is there's food in everything I say. Now, sometimes humans are humans and they add to it. But don't discount the food that's in there. Don't discount the nugget of information that's in there. If there's somebody who's constantly abusing their office as prophet or somebody who's constantly uh, against the main, the prophetic voice of the hour, that's really for God to deal with. However, we can learn how to take out pieces of words, even words of knowledge. When people come and give you a word of knowledge or give you something or talk to you about something or pray a prayer, it doesn't have to be that the whole thing is either good or bad, all right? It can be that the person got involved in it a little, so there was a little bit of human in there, but where was God in that? And how do I pull that out? And how do I use it? This is something I learned actually from Bill Johnson. He said that he's had many prophetic words and he's learned to pull out the food to pray over it and grab out what needs to be grabbed out. And he index cards just what's been given to him from God, what he knows. And he lets the human stuff just fall away. So there's discernment involved without a doubt, but God gives discernment. He grants it. He'll help you to know if, if something just seems completely audacious, you can hand it to him and say, Lord, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I need your confirmation. I need your help. Help me to take out of this what you want me to take out of this. That's really how we start, you know, start to do and know and grow with him. But the word of God, there is nothing to replace that. It's somebody else uh, coming out of somebody else's mouth is not the same. It is not the same as reading it yourself and really studying it, pulling text out and digesting it. This is what I did in this message is what did this mean in their context? What did this word really intend when it was said? What did this mean? Because listen, we have an American mindset and not only do we have an American mindset, we have a language that's limited compared to the Hebrew language. So a lot of times when the Bible was translated, there was things that were just lost in translation. And if you go back now and you, we have all these great tools, there's free tools, Bible Hub, like it's a free tool where you can touch the word and it'll give you the Hebraic definition of the word. And then to take that verse and write it out in definitions and be like, man, I never saw this before. So you shared an experience or an encounter that you had had with the Lord and that you function in the gift of prophecy. And I know that Paul exhorts us to desire all the abilities or the gifts that the Spirit gives, but he tells us to desire prophecy above all the other ones mm -hmm. because prophecy is for the benefit of the church. That's right. So I guess I'm just curious, how long have you been functioning in this gift? Is this something that you were seeking the Lord about and asking him to give you this gift? Yes, I, ha I have asked him for the gift of prophecy. I do think that there are gifts some were just given in our lives. And I think from a young age, I was prophetic. So you can see this in children. Prophecy in kids often comes out as, I don't want to say judgment, but they're partial to not agree with or believe, or they're partial to like just have understanding that keeps them away from certain people. Or they seem like they're kind of standing on the outside because they're like, I see something. This isn't right. Almost like a high level of discernment that you can see in them. The other thing that I think happens 
happens with children in prophetic gifts is they do not consider the gospel humorous. So to them, Jesus is who Jesus is, and it's not funny. So it's not that it's it's not a laughing matter, but they're willing to share the gospel with people, and they don't even like it if they if people think they're cute in sharing the gospel. Because prophets tend to be very serious about the word of God. They take it very, very seriously. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I can say, the biggest flags that I see in kids is when they are super serious about things of God. And you give them a spiritual principle that they're able to digest, that becomes their truth it becomes their line and it's a firm line and you can't mess with the line I think it's very important that when our kids are little we, we start to identify their gifts because it helps us to train them so for me I think I have had it since I was young I have a very firm line between right and wrong scripture to me is absolute ultimate truth there's not a question and I know some people do question it but I I don't question it even when I walked away from the Lord it's not that I didn't believe he was right it's just that I wanted to do things on my own I always knew he was right I just wanted to put it to the side a little bit so I have that very hard line that this is truth and this is not and you're either on this side or you're on that side also as I've prayed I have prayed and asked God and specifically desired the gift of prophecy just for those reasons because it helps build up the church I can teach something prophetically and now when it happens your eyes will light up and you'll know you'll be like hey somebody told me about this I knew this revival was coming it increases your trust in his faithful word it creates better foundation for you when you see him do something that somebody prophesied to you it's amazing and the word of God tells us how we can tell between a true prophet and a false prophet and that is when that word is actually fulfilled yes you know so when someone tells you something that actually comes to pass that was from God yes it's definitely an amazing gift and I think it can be prophetic gifting can be displayed in so many different avenues in different areas like we heard about today prophetic drawing and just all sorts of different things Uh, music I think sometimes our biggest prophets are actually musicians if you listen to the songs that are being written right now it's a prophetic telling of revival it's all I am who you say I am you know there's so many of these things that are coming out and it's new era prophetic songs that this is where God is going it's all about identity it's all about his identity and my identity we we have to see an identity to be able to do what he's going to ask us to do. He's not going to leave us ill-prepared, just like Moses. He's going to clean us out and he's going to restore his character into us so we can stand where he's asking us to stand in the next season, in the time that's coming. Christine, it has been a privilege to share all of this with you and to just learn from you and to hear about what God is doing in your life and the boldness that you have to share, mm-hmm. um, to share about the prophetic gifts. I just feel like that is really necessary right now for people to hear, to just speak about these gifts in a mature way, in a in a wise way, and upholding it with the Word of God. Yes. So thank you for sharing. Would you mind closing us out in prayer? Sure. Father, we thank you so much for this time, Lord. We thank you for this new era in the body of Christ, Lord. We just call in everything that you have for us, Father God. Lord, we ask that you'd give us all ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what you're doing in this season, Lord, what you're doing in this time, in this place that we live in, Lord. Help us to take your character and let it penetrate our reality, Father. Even though things are going on around us, Lord, that you are in a different reality, Father, and help us to absorb your character character and take it take it in as our own, Lord, that we may walk in everything that you have intended for us, Lord. I pray for every person listening to this podcast, Father, that you would encounter them in their secret place, in their quiet place with you, and that you would reveal to them new portions of your character. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to hear this podcast again, or if you'd like to hear another one, you can find us at tourofftruth.com, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon.